Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, and I'm speaking to you from pretty sunny, pretty warm Southern California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and we just released our first podcast episode for our podcast called In the Telling, a Black Family Podcast. And so nice. we're available on most platforms. And um, I'm being interviewed about my mom, so please have a listen in the telling Black Family Podcast, Nomadic Archivist Project. And awesome. I'm coming to you right. guys. Awesome. Congratulations. Thanks a That's lot. Awesome. Thanks a lot. And we are coming from Harlem, and it is an unseasonably 60 degrees here in January. So, you know, global warming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic Blog and recent uh, author of the book, The Personalization of the Museum Visit. And I am coming to you from the South Bronx, and I can be warm and cuddly on certain days. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Not this day, but on certain days. Some days. Don't don't come near me. Every other day, maybe. (laughs) This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And uh, we are concluding our conversation about uh, the they pronoun, and obviously mm. that led into a lot of different areas. Um, and so, yeah, and we'll, we'll move on from there. So, Seth, Stephen, um, closing thoughts? I do have a couple of closing thoughts, but there are two questions I want to ask you. So the very first question, mm. my actually mm. the second question is, how mm. does the pro temp pronoun they or the idea of sex, sexual and gender fluidity impact you personally and Mm. either you guys can go first or i can talk about my experience but but i thought it would be interesting for us to kind of think about gender expression not sexual expression that's a miss um a miss um mistake gender expression in in you personally or maybe even people around you without identifying Mm -hmm. if you don't feel comfortable with that but i thought it might be interesting to think about it from our point of our point of views in a personal way Wow. Okay. Um, you want to go first? That's a great qu- yeah, I'll go first because mine will be short. Okay. So, mine will be long, egg, so that's great. Uh, uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> a big goose egg is, is, is how much it affects me. Mm. Um, mm. It's not my everyday circles. And, you know, we had talked about uh, one of our topics being community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's apropos. So my everyday circles are just not often embroiled or involved it's not a high stakes game, kind of the cultural back and forth that surrounds they or it really anything else. So it just doesn't really affect me in that way. I don't, you know, in my everyday life, it's not something that I have to worry about tripping over or I have to worry about uh, misusing. So that being said, it has been a very fruitful and helpful topic of conversation for me personally because just because it doesn't affect my inner, my everyday interactions doesn't mean I don't think about those things and engage with you know writers and, and people that are talking about it and who it does affect, such as I know both you and, and uh, Seth work closer with people who are much more intimately involved in, in the, these, these kind of issues. So, yeah, that's it for me. I just, it's, you know, it really comes into play here in this conversation, in this space with mm. you guys. So um, for me, it's really, um, 
There's a story I want to tell, and I've never told it, actually. Um, so it's a, I'm a little bit nervous about telling it, but mm, here we okay. go. I trust y'all, and <laughs> I guess I'm going to trust... And all people who listen to us. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I'm going to have to trust them. <laughs> yeah. So my life up until my mid-20s when I went back to undergrad was a bit topsy-turvy. The shortened version of what happened in my late teenage years, early 20s, was that I got a job at Mount Sinai Hospital through a friend whose mother happened to be working in a surgical ICU. So she mm-hmm. gave me a job when basically I really was just kind of spinning my wheels. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't really 100% certain of my sexuality. I didn't know. I was just like this skinny kid who was like mm-hmm. growing into a, a man. And a lot of people at that point in my life were, well, not a lot of people, but enough people were like, looking at me as if I was this... And I remember this guy in, in the hallway in Mount Sinai when I was running some errands said... Um, so I was talking to someone and, and he referred to me as the pretty boy. And I mm-hmm. remember being kind of taken back by that, but not really knowing how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I mean, I, I forget exactly how this happened, but I ended up making friendships with a couple of different gay men. And for some, somehow, somewhere, I ended up in a makeup chair and somebody like put makeup on me. And okay. like, and I, like, it's, you know, smoothed out all the scars. Like I have a, a scar running from my, on the bridge of my, around near the bridge of my nose. And like, you know, skin tone wasn't exactly even, but they did it. And I like, and I looked even kind of better to myself. Like I was like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. like this is like, like mm-hmm. I look perfect kind of thing. And I remember that I, when I had the job at Mount Sinai, I worked in this office that was off in the back of the surgical ICU, basically just doing organizational stuff, filing whatever Mm -hmm. papers and stuff. And I got, I've started to like do that. Like I got into the habit of actually like wearing makeup, like foundation Mm -hmm. to work. And, and -hmm. it was like, I think, I don't think it lasted more than a year. But mm-hmm. during that time, I was, and I was always really afraid of being found out. Mm. And wow, okay. At some point, one of the guys, the uh, doctors worked in the ICU, was like, um, made a joke about it, made it out, and made a joke out loud about it. And like, it was obvious to them because, like, you know, it probably yeah. like, leaves smears of stuff mm-hmm. on stuff and whatever. And I remember being really embarrassed about it. And then at some point, I was having a conversation with another doctor, a woman. So, someone I was really attracted to. She's really just beautiful. And she said, well, so, and we were talking about my family. She said, oh, and do they, do they know you're gay? And I'm like, uh, I'm not. And mm-hmm. so there was a moment in my life when that gender fluidity was something that I was living, but I didn't have the language to describe to people. Mm-hmm. Like I was, or not, maybe not even gender. Maybe it wasn't, yeah. maybe it was, maybe it was, maybe, no, maybe that's okay. exactly right. Maybe it's like, cause this is into weird intersection of gender and sexuality that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I couldn't articulate at the time was a very convoluted sort of mm-hmm. knot. Right, like I, I wanted to be able to say, well, I'm feeling this way and that way, but I didn't have anyone to talk to about that at the time. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, I hadn't yet met Mingus and I hadn't met Lawrence when I, I met mm-hmm. them when I went back to school to complete my undergrad at LIU and like when my in my twenties. Mm-hmm. So I think I was like 23 when I met when I met them, and I'm mentioning these two men because Travis and Stephen know 
that they are my oldest friends. They've known me the longest. And mm-hmm. actually, that's not true. I met them when I was 17, but I I dropped out of school. And then, so I wasn't, I wasn't like around them at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd met them, but I was doing off doing other things. They were off doing other things. And mm-hmm. I came back and to school later when they were already gone. So I, there was this moment in my life when I wasn't really sure about myself. I felt at one at the same time very vulnerable, but also very mm-hmm. afraid of other people, afraid of what mm-hmm. other people saw when they saw me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I think I was just searching for ways to like make me acceptable to myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite mm-hmm. know how to do it. And so there was a kind of, for me, a kind of gender play I was involved in, I was acting out, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you why at the time. Yeah, you were playing with your gender expression, right? I mean, right. this is, yeah. and, 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 the, and the work environment that you were in, is, and certainly the time and place, wants, wanted to overdetermine that. Right. Right. It wanted to, it, they needed mm-hmm. to, they needed it to represent something very particular about who you were. Right. Um, when it wasn't that at all. Right. It was, it was you just figuring out how you wanted to sort of comport yourself in the world as a right. man. So, right. That's right. Yeah. As a, as a person. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And I was thinking about the fact that this is the way that you said you like to look, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> makeup. Is makeup a gender expression when I think about um, the powder pancake faces? Mm. <laughs> you know, when makeup was mm. not solely women, you know, mm-hmm. not solely for women. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about the gender expression part of it, about you were performing male and you were also having sex with women and you had mm-hmm. crushes on women, but mm-hmm. you were also enjoying the fact that your face had a certain glow to it or mm-hmm, a smoothness mm-hmm. and an evenness, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't be out of place today because men are wearing makeup in different right. cities, right? Right. And there but are even makeup companies push right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the context means everything. Yes. You know, it means everything when it comes to gender expression, you know? Right. Because in the and early 90s, that shit was only done by like out, 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 out gay men. Right. right, or drag queens, yeah. or, yeah. Um, you know, female impersonators, yeah. drag queens, or men that had AIDS, and right. they were losing um, texture in their faces, and there was right. face wasting, yeah. and so yeah. that was part of the community that I was witnessing, that was a tangential part of the gay community that was a part of in Toledo, and right. I remember thinking, oh, why is the face sort of sinking in, and then later on, that's when I would, I would read about it and find out, yeah. and go, oh, that's the makeup thing, oh, got it, got it. Right. But right. also just wanting to be thought of as pretty or maybe right. thought of as attractive. Mm. You know, right. that's the thing that struck me most about the story. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. And, every, and my thing is, I would have known, everyone would have known to me, around me, would have known that you were wearing makeup. Right. Whether it was like it stops right here or. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and for our listeners, um, yeah, thank just, you. I was about gesturing to say that. at his, um, right under his chin, like right at the neckline. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry, sorry. It's like, oh, you know, look at RuPaul. Um, right. So, right. <laughs> well, let me, let me uh, kick a question back uh, to both of you and, and mm-hmm. Stephen in particular, because I, and I'll, I'll show my cards by giving what I, what my response to this is. Do you feel like, Maybe not equity, but acceptance and acknowledgement of gender expressions and alternatives to cisgender expressions 
has more rapidly changed than our ability to deal with race in the United oh, States. Good so God, I, I will damn. say I feel like it has. Molly and I were talking about how it wasn't that long ago that Ellen DeGeneres' show was canceled right. because, because she, she came outed out, herself. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, like, it the, also wasn't the, a good show, but go ahead. <laughs> but yeah. Hello. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so right. leave that aside. But right. the, the, that would, it, like, if ABC or whatever show network she's on now did that now, they would like burn it to the ground. Right. I mean, and and I do not feel there has been as rapid or possibly even as an equivalent shift in racial dynamics. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not saying there hasn't been progress. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot. We've disagreed uh-huh. about that. We've agreed about that. You know, mm-hmm. there's a variety of, we come at that from a, a different pr- uh, points of view. But mm-hmm. but it does feel to me that the racial piece of how we construct our social identities is a more entrenched aspect of our American, uh, of our American identities. Okay. So than, I want sexuality. Right. So that's a great, that's a great question. I want to put a pin in it just because I want to hear Stephen's answer to his own first question. Cause I'm super ah, intrigued. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, like, what yeah, did what's, I ask? No, just joking. What's, um, yeah. So the short story, cause you had a short story, Travis, you had a long story, Seth. So I'll, I'll do, um, uh, in between story, which is when I was younger, Mm. Um, very young. I was like maybe three or four, five. I remember the process of becoming a boy. I felt mm. genderless at one point. I had two older sisters. Mm. Um, at high, you know, typical high voice little kid. Um, mm. But I remember just laughing and being kind of free up until a particular point where boy training came in really hard. <laughs> mm. And it was like my father was very much like, don't act like that. Stop acting like that. Don't do that. My uncle told me once on a fishing trip, I was walking past, uh, we were on like, you know, on a fishing trip and there was the sand and there was a boat. I remember seeing a dog that I thought was cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, so I was like, look at the dog. He's so cute. Mm-hmm. And my uncle was like, cute. Boys don't say cute. He goes, mm-hmm. only, um, only faggots say cute. Oh, Are you Lord. a faggot? And oh, I couldn't Lord. have been any more that I knew it was like maybe in the first grade. So maybe seven or eight. And I go, no, I'm not a faggot. I didn't know what it was, but I'm just like, because, you know, you look at, you know, it's always the context. It's like, you just like, ah, you know, but I remember then just being sort of terrified of being a faggot. And then, so then that sort of like glow of um, shame or that glow of, I don't want to be attached to that. So Mm -hmm. adjust my behavior, Mm -hmm. adjust my behavior. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, and yesterday I was talking to my friend, Sean, about when our voices changed. And how happy I was because I was like, now this voice that you're hearing now was the voice that I got. And I was like, good, because, you know, I was just a high speaker, (laughs) like boys do. Um, But that the boy training, I've written about it before in different essays and um, published some things about this idea of boy training. And it really, really started, I remember in school where the boys and girls were constantly in competition and we we just loved it. Right. And then Mm -hmm. I no longer had to be smart around Mm. fifth, sixth grade. Mm. It was about being a boy. It was Mm. either going out for sports. It was about fighting. It was constantly talking about girls, making up lies about girls (laughs) and Mm. all of that. And I remember thinking, I just want to learn something. And I remember feeling I was sort of depressed, probably a low grade depression from that time on until maybe after I graduated from high school, Mm. because it was no longer that this role that we all had to play that I wasn't, this thing, I was this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was no longer 
required of me to be smart or to think about anything. It was just to be a boy. My father reinforced it at the home. Every random man that I ran across in our community thought he had the right to tell me how to act. Mm. Um, and that even lost friends after a while because I was just getting tired and exhausted with performing boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then it ultimately came to be that, wow, I don't even know if there's an ending to it, actually. I'll say that you are able to take yourself out of a situation financial because of your finances or because you move. Right. And right. then you mm -hmm. just, your circles become smaller. You're no longer right. in high school where you have to do all this stuff. The work, the workplace is a lot smaller, but the person that I am today was a person I worked on for a long time right. because right. I was exhausted, not just with the boy training, but also with, well, if I'm not a boy, then what am I? Right. Mm -hmm. I knew I was queer from very, very young, very, very young. I just from a, from a feeling to a crushes and that kind of thing. But I remember boy just exhausted me. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, mm -hmm. at the very same time, I was weary of other boys like me. And I was always mm -hmm. weary of somebody who didn't fit any of it, who was somewhere mm -hmm. in the middle, whether it was mm -hmm. a, yeah. a girl that was born, um, born a girl, born, born a boy or born male or female. And as I got older, I started to slowly do more research and a lot more thinking about the kind of person I wanted to be, not man, mm -hmm. but person, mm -hmm. you know? And then there's the whole thing with me and my son that I'll talk about in another episode about learning how to help him just be himself. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want him to go through any of that stuff that boys do this, girls do this. And, but yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah, I remember just boy training really, I was going to say fucked me up, but, um, but it did. <laughs> mm -hmm. It did fuck yeah, me up. Yeah. It did fuck me up. Sounds fucked up. Is it what fucked that me sounds up. Like. But yeah. it also <laughs> pushed you to be the kind of person, I think, who is really thoughtful and sensitive to precisely these issues. I but mean, did, I, the, did the chicken come before the egg? Did I don't know. Did, does I don't the, know. the pressure so, of so being. I, my, <laughs> I think so. I do. I mean, uh -huh. I think that, that it's not. Um, I don't think that it is uh, just coincidental that so many artists and intellectuals throughout uh, the centuries mm -hmm. have been homosexual. I, mm -hmm. I don't because I think I think being pushed to society's margins causes you to reflect more fully. I mean, being ostracized as a human is kind of a prerequisite for right. being a shaman or mm -hmm. to be to having any sort of critical distance mm -hmm. to one's everyday life. Mm -hmm. I don't think on its own it makes someone introspective, but it certainly mm -hmm. activates and promotes those uh, inherent mm -hmm, expressive mm -hmm. capacities, mm -hmm. I would say, for you. So, no, you m maybe, you know, in a different context, you would have grown up in a different way that was still thoughtful but mm -hmm. like at seven to be reflecting on how to perform your social role mm -hmm. i definitely think yeah. that that oh. that is integral to fashioning a thoughtful reflective uh, adult and since we're saying mm -hmm. this i want to say mm -hmm. to stephen that we have some similarities in our upbringings vis-a-vis uh, -vis our fathers, because my father was a similar kind of person to mm -hmm. me. Like there mm -hmm. were ways in which he enforced a kind of gender, gendered protocol mm -hmm. on me uh -huh. when, I, when mm -hmm. I was a child, when I really couldn't understand why this was important. And in fact, right. in fact now I'm thinking about it. Travis, you told me an, um, a really engaging story 
I think it was a few years ago, about your friend mm. who's the attorney who mm. mm-hmm. has a boy. And at some point, I'm going to, I think I'll fill in the details as much as I can, and then you may remember the rest of it. Mm. He was doing something with his son. I mean, and, and, and the child was like, he was like a, he was like five or six or whatever. And he, he insisted on having him play with the, the toy that was blue. Like he wanted something pink and the father mm, wouldn't let him have familiar. it. Okay. And he said, and, and you talked to him about it and you said, you realize like at this age, it's not going to make any difference. Right. And he's like, yeah, but I just prefer it. I just, right. I just yeah. like it. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, God, like you can't, like that's the problem. Like you can't separate yourself from this other human being and say, let this person be whoever they are. Like it has yeah. to, that person mm. has to be in some ways a reflection, a, a mirror of me. Yeah, I, right. And, that, and I think that that's part of the, and there's a way in which that's part of the issue with gender expression. And I think it gets, mm. and I think that generational gap really exacerbates the ways in yeah. which we think about, or not exacerbates, but complicates the ways in which we think about gender expression. Because I think this, 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 this generation, this generation that's right now, teenagers to like mid twenties, I think they've managed to make the rest of us see that they don't have to be like us. They don't, like they can figure it mm-hmm. out on their own and they should be fucking allowed to. Yeah, I I do I do think that there's a little bit of just sort of generational tension in this sort of tussling that happens around gender gender expression. And again, kind of harkening back to my other question about race, mm-hmm. I, I think that I feel like some of the responses, well, you know, when I broke my leg as a kid, I just put two belts on and like wrenched <laughs> it up and kept going. Right. Kept swimming. And, and you yes. know, they're like, their leg is like permanently deformed and right. they walk with a limp. But right. it's like in my generation, you know, well, you know, no, it's better that we've invented this new way of like splinting your leg so it's fully repaired. Right. So mm. I feel like there's a little bit of that. Like, well, you know, boys that were funny were always a thing. We just made fun of them and then they kept going and or even even right. if you were, even if you are uh, or have alternative gender expressions from a previous generation, you might even resent the type of um, negotiation that goes on around the language. Well, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't right. have to worry about that. I just sucked dick mm-hmm. in the closet or I just put on dresses and, you know, right. at home right. in the bathroom right. or whatever. Right. So right. Um, I do think that that's an aspect of some of the tension there. Yeah. And so I think you're right, Seth. I think I think it's just going to look way different in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't I don't I don't yes, have yeah. a feeling no part of me and I, I hope that this is correct no part of me is actually worried that the culture is going to drift back to an overly restrained kind of heteronorm right. in, in, in anytime soon. Right. I I do not feel the same sort of security around racial tensions Agreed. is uh, is, is uh, what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pull the conversation back to that. I'm just saying that I do think yeah. that there's some there's something to it. I think there's something to it, but that heterosexual or the heteronormative sensibility, here's the mm-hmm. thing. When you ask that question about the race versus gender, I mm-hmm. thought immediately that how movements get co-opted, right? So you see a lot of folks in ads and you see a lot of, you know, gender, different kinds of gender expression. I'm not as optimistic about it 
given that yes. we're always living in multiple generations and we're also living in a generation where there are a lot more people that are older that are still making laws, right? Mm-hmm. And there's still this wall that people are running up against, depending on mm-hmm. where you live, how old mm-hmm. you are, how much mm-hmm. money you have, what mm-hmm. your race is. So I'm not as optimistic. What did I write? I wrote that um, it's the co-option of gender expression that, that I'm a little concerned about. That's fair. And, and I, think I, think it's, that's a fair I think it's in, in the cultural products in terms of movies and the t- in television, how it seems mm-hmm. to be. But I'm not sure, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I need to think about it a little bit more as it mm-hmm. comes when it, um, it's, you know, put up against race mm-hmm. and racial, the development of people actually starting to not bridge a divide, but also really kind of learn our own racial sensibilities mm-hmm. and reflect. I think I think that we are in an interesting moment where a lot of that stuff is exploding. But at the mm-hmm. same time, people are still holding on to I'm this and I'm this mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. means this and it's mm-hmm. unflexible and it doesn't change. Gender expression feels like the most recent. It's almost like a gay white Republican <laughs> in the sense that you're in a culture where you have you want the um, you want the privilege of being white. And you also want the privilege of being gay. And for me, these things aren't necessarily in opposition, but they illuminate the kinds of contentious relationships that at one point being gay or lesbian meant that you wanted to tear down hetero patriarchy and you also wanted to maybe even redesign or, or tear down marriage. Now people, mm-hmm. the main platform here is when you hear about the most is gay marriage, where all these other issues are a little bit further and also more specifically more diverse in terms of who is in, um, who's pushing it. So I don't feel like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm still in a holding pattern thinking about this race question versus gender. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm not sure what's being sold to me versus what mm. I see. That's all. I, uh, I think it's a fair pushback. I think we probably have different levels of sympathy for mainstreaming things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, to me, I see that as progress. I mean, the, the fact that you can take sort of hackneyed, mediocre expressions mm-hmm. of one way of being human and turn it into a seasonal sale um yeah and i think that's a positive thing actually uh even though i mm. i understand the spiritual cost and or, or or i think i understand the spiritual cost and i and i understand that there are on the other side of kind of the complexity of capitalism there are people that are losing big so i don't i don't mean to dismiss that i just mean around that particular issue because what white people did to black people was burn down their businesses right, right? that's what that that was one of the first things that no 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 you can't have the like you can't be too successful at right. this thing mm-hmm. and so we actually like the fact that there can be a free for all economic exchange around something I I read as a kind of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, though I understand that you have some reservations about that, and I think that they're fair. I think I just come down on the other side of it. Well, I want to pull us a little bit back towards mm-hmm. the, the 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 day thing, and and I, and there's something that you said. I think Stephen, you may have said it too, Travis. But and this is a word that I find is really helpful for me to sort of kind of gather together all of these complicated and nuanced um, designations for mm. gender fluidity. And that's mm-hmm. queer. And that's queer. I really like that word. And the more I hear it, yeah. the more I like mm-hmm. it because okay. it just pinpoints that 
position of being a child of like seven who thinks that dogs are cute and thinks that you should be able to say that out loud and not perform a particular kind of normative mm-hmm. gender for mm-hmm. the men around you. Like there's something yeah. queer or the about- women. Well, Or the women, that's right. Mm-hmm. There's something queer about that. And I love that, that there is a kind of queering of things happening in many areas of culture now. I okay. think yeah. that, I think mm-hmm. that at some point as a boy, I was queer. Like I was not normative. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. look, I didn't look at the at the world in the way that my father did, and mm-hmm. I and I didn't think I needed to. Um, oh, so so coming. So the thing I th- I suppose I really want to say is that this conversation has been super helpful to me because it it helps me come to a clearer understanding of the the levels to which I myself am queer um, mm-hmm. or have been. And and it, it helps me, I think, have more respect for, more, not respect for, actually more, um, it helps me be a little bit more sensitive to people's gender fluidity or non-conformity mm-hmm. um, and be a bit more aware of what mm-hmm. other people might need at a moment in their lives that, may not be the same as my needs. And if they need to be, and if, they, if one of those needs is they need to be called they, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think, that I, I think that's a, a wonderful note to not necessarily close on, but to sort of draw the conversation to a close. Uh, I, feel, I feel similarly with a slightly additional aspect of not wanting to co-op the term because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I mean, I, many of the things that, that Stephen described or that when I read about people's experience of being ostracized because of who they are, that feeling is not unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but I do, you know, I, uh, it's the part of Allen Ginsberg's America poem that has always resonated yeah. with me. I'm putting my queer shoulder to, to the, the wheel, wheel. Yeah. in, in my, in my little fantasy space, that queerness is, is about uh, a lot more than his um, sexual orientation, hmm. and yeah, and, for, and yeah, well, for Alan, I mean, for for Alan Ginsberg, I maybe not. I mean, I mean he was pretty, he was he was very queer, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and you know liked little boys. Not that that's necessarily being uh, to. Be super clear, I am not suggesting that being into little boys is associated with homosexuality. I am merely suggesting Allen Ginsberg liked little boys. Mm-hmm. So I like to think our listeners are smarter than that, but, you yeah. know, I'm not sure. So I, I, I am always going to be, I'm always going to err on the side of caution when it comes to that yeah, stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, Stephen, do you want to close us out? I mean, uh, the uh, close out is I thought Allen Ginsberg was, even though his queerness related to his sexuality, I actually thought he was queer as a thinker. And as yeah, whereas, yeah like, of um, course. An, an imaginative, thoughtful, engaging guy who did like little boys, okay? And that's mm. cool. I mean, it's not cool that he does, but I like the nuance in describing the people that we yeah. admire. And mm, I, yeah. I argue for more space for that. And like Seth, I'm definitely interested in being a much more sensitive person for things that I'm not experiencing, but giving space for people who do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Uh, All right, my friends. Thank you, as always, for the conversation. And Mm -hmm. I'll uh, talk to you next week. Indeed. Take Take care. Take care.